Well, 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 Miles. What is football, anyway? I mean, do we even really care that much? Should we just not even do this podcast anymore? I mean, what is the point? Tristan, you ask a great question. What is football? These days, I don't even know. Silly Seahawks, silly Ravens, playing their silly game. Oh, who are we kidding? Sports. Who... I think we should just let this play for the entire episode. No, we won't. We won't. I'll turn it off, folks. I promise. Trying to. There we go. Um, Miles, first of all, as always, good to see you, my friend. How are you? Tristan, a a pleasure to be with you today. Even though, well, you might have heard the Seahawks lost this football game to the Baltimore Ravens, 37-3. to I heard you got so mad after this game, that you took your collected works of Edgar Allan Poe, leather-bound, off the shelf, and you started dog-earing and folding some of the pages and tarnished its mint condition. I heard, this is a rumor that I heard, I heard that's how mad you got about the result of this one-sided football game. I'm not proud of it. Um, Certainly not proud of it, but... Listen, sometimes you do what you got to do, and it was a demoralizing day for me, as I think it was for many of us. Um, I was going to say for many of us in the Northwest, although I am not in the Northwest. Um, my heart physically. is never... Yeah, physically. My, my heart's Spiritually, never... you are. It's never never far from uh, from the sweet, sweet nest up there. It was a tough game, Miles. I mean... Can we fact check? Is that really? It was 37 to 3. I tried to forget already, but that is who that is quite um, that that's that's quite the score. You know, I was looking actually right before we started recording. I listened to our takeaways from last week because I wanted to I want to remember kind of, hey, going into this game, what we both say. And first of all, I was way off in my. I thought it was going to be like a three-point game. So right off the bat, I was terribly, terribly off. But beyond being really, really off on my prediction, I, I think going into this week, you and I both felt fairly strongly this was going to be a tough game to win. Like this, this is I, I'm, I feel strong, strong and confident now saying the Ravens. I think are the best team in the league, and. They showed it, man. I mean, it was it was a really we got I mean, how many different ways can we say we got a whooping? I mean, it it was we got mollywopped. We got a whooping. We got mollywopped. We got our our tush kicked. We got our our can kicked all over the place. We got 57 more minutes to go here. We got our tookus Take Whooped. It. Yeah. Um, 57 and a half more minutes to go. <laughs> that's, that's all we're going to do. And then we'll start the piano music again. So so here, here's my first thought. And I mean, so we'll, we'll get a little serious. Every year, you're going to have a loss like this. I think that's true. Every year, you're going to have a loss that just makes you question everything, makes you look at the team and think, why do we suck? What's going on? Um, 
I, that's a pretty normal thing, I think, in the NFL. And so I looked last year. I just was like, okay, like what was the what was the game last year that all of us in the Hawks nest, all of the twelves, would be seen here saying, are, "Are you kidding me? This is terrible." And and the one that stood out. So we we had a couple of pretty bad losses, but the one that really stood out last week was um, the first time we faced the 49ers. We lost twenty seven to seven against the 49ers, and. I mentioned that only for perspective. You know, last week we talked a little bit about how every single week, or I'm sorry, every single year, you have a chance to have one or two games that are like perfection, right? Where your defense plays perfect, offense plays perfect, special teams. You have the game that's like, why can't we play like this every year? I think the other side of it's really true too. And this is just the nature of this league. Every single year, you are going to have one or two games that you just get mollywopped. That's just, it's going to be a terrible game. And this was this week's uh, game. My biggest takeaway is it makes last week even more important. We talked about that. You, you didn't have to win against the Browns, but man, winning against the Browns makes this week so much easier because you know, the record isn't that bad. We're five and three. Like, you know, now we go into to a game against Washington next week. We'll talk about that matchup at the end. But I mean, we're in position where we need to be. We gave ourselves the margin for error by beating the Browns last week. So that that's kind of my big thing. Um, and, and then I guess I would just say, like, what learning opportunity is there in this game? That's what Pete's all about. That's what he's built this program off of. Um, So I think the hope is, and as I was doing dishes, what my wife told me as I was kind of moping around the house was like, hey, they're going to learn from this. So so I think that's that's the glass half full version of this story. It's going to happen every year. Okay, let's get this one out of our systems. The Ravens happen to be the best team in football, and I have some stats to back that up from a defensive perspective, at least. and it's an opportunity for us to learn. So that's that's a couple of things. Does that make you feel any better, Miles? How, does that does that raise your spirits? You know what? My spirits didn't need to be raised that much. I think. Um, look, if if the next couple weeks don't go very well, my spirits might need some lifting. But I do think this was my opinion of the Seahawks overall didn't really change. I do actually still think that. They belong around 8 to 12 on a a league-wide power ranking. And I think we ran into a team that is clearly number one or number two at the worst. And I think that's just kind of how the league is this year, is that that tier of Super Bowl contenders is just way out there in front of everybody else. And ultimately, I I don't think the, the broadcast was mentioning how this was up there with the largest margin of victory and... Uh, or the largest margin of defeat in Pete Carroll's tenure. I don't think that specific number is so important. Like the game broke open, broke open in the fourth quarter. Didn't really matter, you know? So if it was 27 to seven or 37 to three, as it was, I I don't think it's, I don't think it's, it it was just a loss. You know, I I don't, I don't think it's, it's that important to say, Oh, it's that much worse of a loss. Cause it was a 34 point defeat. But, um, yeah, I guess that's why I had a lot of reservations about that Leonard William trade last week because, as I've been mentioning all year, 
this is a rebuilding team. They're just good enough to rebuild that they're in the playoff picture. But there is still, I think this showed that, hey, there is there is still another level to this. And I think we, we felt th- that w- when the Seahawks were at the top level of the league in 2013 and 2014, it's a different feel. And uh, the Ravens are on top of that right now. Um, <clears throat> no, I, I totally agree. One kind of a, a caveat, or I shouldn't say caveat, in addition to what you just said, um, we've been really, really spoiled. Like when when you see the graphics of the last time the Seahawks lost this bad, I mean, it's been a while. You know, I mean, I, I looked at last year, I knew looking at last year, the 20 point defeat, you know, versus the 49ers was going to be the worst one I could find. And that is the worst loss of last year. There haven't been a lot of games like this as a Seahawks fan since Pete has been the coach. And and I think when I say there haven't been a lot, there's been like four to five. We got to really appreciate that. Like we got to appreciate that we haven't, as Seahawks fans, felt this valley of frustration very often. And and I think that's why, to your point, it's it's a lot easier for me to uh, for me to take. So uh, one last thing. Uh, and then I'll 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 seed the floor for a little bit. Um, last week we were talking about the matchup between Zay Flowers and JSN. Like, hey, two young wide receivers coming up in the world, right? Like, how are they going to face off? Do you want to hear the numbers between these two fine gentlemen? I actually, despite um, the one number of thirty-seven to three, I do actually think those two guys had pretty similar receiving lines. Is that crazy for me to say? Um, well, it's incorrect. But it's not crazy, I don't think. Oh, okay. I don't think you're crazy. Well, okay. I, I, okay. I, I know the Ravens are just going to their tight end so much that I thought, hey, maybe uh, Zay Flowers snuck through there without uh, – because JSN had some – accumulated some yards at the end of the game. So his, his line didn't look that bad at the end. For sure. Yeah, and you're Let's right. So, so Mark Andrews led the team for the Ravens with nine receptions and 80 yards um, with a long of 16 – um, Zay Flowers, one reception, 11 yards. That's it. One reception on one target for Zay compared to our good friend, JSN, friend of the podcast, six receptions, 63 yards. So kind of interesting going into it. I mean, last week, literally we, the, one of our big takeaways leaving last week was let's see how this matchup works out. Um, and, and frankly, and I'll, I'll just admit to everyone this isn't one of those games that I wanted to watch three or four times and really dig into the dig into the film. I didn't want to watch the all 22. Um, and so, and, and obviously maybe the game, the game script sent them more to their tight ends. And obviously, man, they were running the ball so well, there was really wasn't a reason probably to open up with Zay. Um, that said though, I'm assuming that Zay and Devin Witherspoon matched up quite a bit. And certainly between Devin and Trey Brown and Enrique Woolen, those three guys, I'm sure, accounted for a lot of Zay's day. And okay, there's a little encouragement, you know, right off the bat. There we go. Very nice. Yeah, the Ravens didn't have that many passing yards overall, did they? With with one receiver. <laughs> one it didn't work for one guy. One Raven wasn't super happy. <laughs> One out of 53. Yeah, we, we won't talk about the, the, the rushing yards against us. That was a little harder. Uh, Tristan, last week you debuted a great segment called Hats Off. 
Did we give hats off to Miles Garrett? We were giving, or or to Maurice Hurst of the Cleveland Browns. We, uh, we you, yeah, gave it to Hurst and to Injoku. That, that's, that's right. That's both right. of those gentlemen received a hearty hats off. Um, if you could view the podcast, you could see that my hat today is about a three foot black top hat, as Edgar Allan Poe himself might be wearing, and I doff this cap to Ravens defensive coordinator. Mike McDonald, if you watch the Seahawks games from the Super Bowl era when that Legion of Boom defense is on the field, it feels like they're looking to score offensively. And it felt that same way with this Ravens defense in this game. You didn't even really get that sensation that much with the Cleveland Browns the last week, even though the Browns defense is also one of the best in the NFL. But the Ravens defense, it felt like there were 12 or 13 guys uh, all over the place. They're getting pressure a huge percentage of the snaps. I don't like seeing that people are calling for Geno's job already. I don't think any quarterback is going to have that great of a game when they're under that much pressure. And maybe unlike the Browns, like there's so much of the focus, at least when I was watching, was kind of like Miles Garrett. Got to look out for Miles Garrett. Here he comes. With the Ravens, it's almost, it's so um, very similar actually to the Seahawks in 2013. There's no weak points in the defense. So there's really nowhere to focus because it's kind of like there's no, there's no huge star on the defense. There's, there's no big names, but there's no weak points either. So it's really kind of a beautiful unit. They're being led by Mike McDonald. This is his second year as their coordinator. He kind of grew up like rising the ranks within their system. He had a very bizarre one-year stint as the defensive coordinator at the University of Michigan in 2021. So he's with the Ravens for several years. Did this one year at Michigan. They did well. That was when Aiden Hutchinson, his last year at Michigan. Now he's in their second his their second year. He's in his second year as the Ravens defensive coordinator. He's 36 years old. I think he's going to be a head coach in the NFL for a long, a long time. I mean, it, it just seemed like yeah, and he was, just seems so kind of stoic on that sideline. I don't know if you remember the shots of him, but uh, it just seemed like he's a really cerebral guy who's, whose face did not really change at any point during the game, which was a little frightening that he was just really going to go through this thing all 60 minutes. It made me wonder if he, you know, that's kind of a Belichick-style coaching career to be the defensive coordinator of a Super Bowl winning team in your 30s. That's how he got it started, so... Anyway, yeah, that wasn't a name I'd really heard of a lot before. He's not one of the famous. There's so many coordinators going in and out. You know, some people have name recognition and some people don't. But uh, I think he will have his choice of head coaching roles very soon. Um, you know, it's funny that you mention their defensive coordinator because it's something that I I took away from uh, the press conferences and every time Pete spoke about John Harbaugh, just the idea of him being um, uh, being a special teams coach. And that's where um, Harbaugh cut his teeth in the league was from the special teams perspective and kind of the overall um, the overall view that gives him of the game. And and as you're just talking about that, I'm, I'm thinking about if you're a defensive coordinator for one of the great coaches in the league, that you talk about him being a bit stoic on the sidelines. I would imagine the calming influence, right, of like working under a guy like John 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 Harbaugh would be kind of incredible. Like 
there's nothing John hasn't seen. Like John's forgot more about football than most people will ever learn. And, and you're underneath this unbelievable master who understands the game in all of its facets. There must be such a different defensive coordinators and offensive coordinators much ha- must, must have such different experiences, right? Like compare that to, um, a defensive coordinator for like a first year head coach. Right. And, and you're like, okay, we're just figuring this out together. Or maybe I'm the guy who's been in the league for a long time. And you're the 30 year old who's getting his shot as a head coach. Like it, it, it must be so nice. I guess is what I'm saying, like to, to work under a guy like John Harbaugh, who is clearly, you know, one of the best in the league. Yeah. It's, it didn't really seem like any, any offense was going to have a, a great day up against how good that Ravens defense was. Uh, and I, it, at a certain point, I, I kind of just enjoyed how kind of elegantly built the Ravens are because it's not like their offense is, is weak. It's, it's kind of hard to say what's their better side of the football. Uh, I guess the defense has more elite numbers, but it's not like the offense is their weak link either. You know, this isn't Trent Dilfer leading the, the 2000 Super Bowl winning Ravens. So. Yeah, and, and that goes up to the front office. They've really built something uh, beautiful over there. Mm. Now, even though I don't think any great any offense would have had that great of a day, I was concerned about how the Seahawks, uh, and this is, this is for several weeks in a row now, it seems like they're really at a loss for how to generate just some good positive plays on first and second down for four or five yards, which is funny because... At the start of the year, as as they started to rack up those wins over the Lions and the Panthers, what we were saying, or what I was saying, was, hey, this team is on schedule. They don't have really explosive plays, but they're staying on schedule. That sounds like a game manager, you know, backhanded compliment type thing, but it's not. They keep the chains moving, and that that has totally gone away at this point in the season. So early in the year, I was talking about how Kenneth Walker was kind of around 8th to 10th among running backs in terms of his success rate. That's the pro football reference stat where you're saying, hey, you're getting either a huge a success rate is you're either getting a huge chunk of the yards on first down or second down and all of them on third down or fourth down. So Walker was like 8 to 10 among running backs in the league after like three weeks and four weeks. He's down to 25th. He's at 25th, so he's at 46%. He was at like 53, 54% at those early times. So if he's down to 46% now, that means it's been like lower than 46%, like to get to that low point. And I have to say, this week was the first time that I was looking at a player and I was like, boy, would really like for the Hawks to get that guy in free agency. And it was Gus Edwards of the Ravens, just a really big running back. Got 30 pounds on either Kenneth Walker or Zach Charbonnet. It's not really a surprise since the Ravens are so skilled analytically. So Edwards is eighth in the league right now in among running bats in success rate at 54.5%. And funny enough, he's been with, with the Ravens. I think this is his sixth year, fifth or sixth year. That is dragging down his career percentage. So he's at 545 for this year. He's at 579 for his career, like including the getting like dragged down by this year. So I think with Gus Edwards, they found that, and you know, you felt it on those two touchdowns. He punched in very easily that, uh, okay. Like like it just, it just, it made me think they were thinking about success rate and, uh, he's a free agent. 
uh, this spring. He's he's finishing up a two year nine million dollar deal. Uh, yeah, it was really nice. To, it felt really good. To, or it felt like it would be really nice to have a player like that on your team. And uh, again, this was uh, speaking of just getting reliable short plays. Twenty eight passes by Gino. Only three of them were tight end targets. This is like the third or fourth consecutive week where that's happened. Compared to Baltimore on the other side, 33 pass plays. 14 of them were to tight ends. Most of them coming to Andrews, but still they had four to Isaiah Likely, which is more than the Hawks had to all three of their guys. Pete mentioned that because it's got to the point, you know, where, where Brock and Salk are asking Pete Carroll on the radio about the three tight end sets. I'm like, hey. We saw that earlier in the year. Where have they gone? And Pete's answer, I don't know if you remember this one. It was like, hey, we had a whole sh- a whole sheet of like the playbook that we couldn't get to because we were kind of like just um, like going uphill in terms of down and distance. And my thought was, hey, let's let's just swap around those sheets. I don't know if we need to keep relying on that first sheet that's that's not that's you know getting into all these third and longs. Let let's make page number two page number one and just start from there it definitely couldn't be going any worse i was a little bit surprised it felt very like stubborn to me like hey yeah and let's just let's try something new because it's not going well and it does seem foundational right like we talk about this all the time that it seems very foundational to have to be able to rely on those tight ends that, that you know they're that style of offense is going to be more replicatable week in and week out. Running the football, tight ends, like it seems like kind of football 101. And so, yeah, to to your point, I I had the same thought when Pete said that. I was like, what you like, I don't know. Like, what do you mean we didn't just we didn't even get to it? Like, can we just, you know, maybe just start there, you know, or or really so it is one thing that I noticed um uh when I was looking at the snap counts. Disley was only on the field 22% of the time, which is really interesting. If you look at Fant and um, and Parkinson's numbers, like they were on the field kind of more of that typical 50 to 60% of the time that looked normal. It's weird to see Will Disley in the 22% range, um, which I don't quite know why or, or, or what would have caused that. Um, but I agree. It seems very odd to, to not continue to show that and and use that unless there's something more to the story like defenses have figured out a way to you know stifle it or something but man it seems like throwing to massively large athletic humans would continue to be a good plan like it week in and week out like some some easy simple concepts um hopefully it's something they can they can rectify but yeah that was a little frustrating to see i agree with you well it's like it, there's a bit of a disconnect here because the Seahawks are second in the league in terms of their cap hit to their tight ends because Disley's earning quite a bit of money. Uh, he, he's actually the highest paid out of the three of them. Uh, so you, you just you, you just normally don't pay three tight ends kind of starter level money. So they're second in the league in that cap hit. So it kind of that kind of indicates a plan to use the tight ends a lot. So it's like, hey, you're kind of playing with one hand behind your back if you're going to pay these guys such a big percentage of the cap compared to a normal team, but then not even integrate them into the game plan. You know, uh, that cap, that percentage of the cap is so big. You wouldn't be frustrated to see him kind of force the issue with, with in terms of targets, but it's just the targets aren't even coming at all for, 
for about a month now, which is, uh, it's, it's odd. Yeah. Yeah. No, <clears throat> very odd, especially, um, just considering w- where we started the year. Um, I have a couple of questions for you, Miles. Can you guess, I mean, I'm sure you have no concept of this. Why would you? Can you guess how many yards the Seahawks ran for on Sunday? I think the number was 28. That's correct. On 15 attempts. Now, I'm no math whiz, but luckily ESPN is. That equates to 1.9 yards per carry. The long was Kenneth Walker with a six-yard run. Um, when you can't run the football, you can't do anything in this league. And I, I think that's a truism that um, stands the test of time. There are a few, few times in football when you get dominated in the run game and you do not have the ability to run where you are successful. And I, I think in general, just bad things happen. I, I, I can almost hear Mike Holmgren um, speaking to me like bad things happen. They happen. They they happen. That's my Mike Holmgren uh, impression really fast. Um, I I can hear Mike kind of ripping this and being like, yeah, this is this is what happens. Your defense gets worn out. Your offense never finds a rhythm. And that was basically the whole game. I mean, if I was to say. If, if I was to say to someone, hey, in one sentence, why did the Seahawks lose? It would be we couldn't run the football. Even more so than what they could do offensively, the fact that we couldn't run the football, I I rewatched this morning the first quarter. And the first quarter, like, looks pretty good. And 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 in a lot of ways, this happens often in in the league, where if a team can't run the football, your defense can hang for a quarter. It's okay. Like, hey, we can be overused in the beginning of a game. And then eventually, you just get tired, you get worn out, you lose the game. And it was so clear to see that, that like, our defense looked just fine in the beginning of this game. And then you could see like the longer these poor dudes had to be on the field, the more they got exposed, the more opportunities you're giving Lamar Jackson and you're going to be screwed. And that to me was the whole story of the game. Our inability to run the football, um, our inability, I'm not even getting to talk about what they did. I mean, they, they ran for an insane amount. They, let me look at the number right now, 298. I think the only reason it wasn't a 300 yard day was because of the kneel downs. They had this insane running, but they don't have those same opportunities. And our defense is able to hold up way better if we can run the football, if we can stay on the field, if we have more opportunities coming off of a third down. Um, Time of possession, this to me is, I mean, so indicative of not being able to run the football. The Seahawks possess the football, 19 minutes, 56 seconds. The Ravens possess the football, 40 minutes and four seconds. I mean, if you just think about that, like just the disparity of those two numbers and what that means. If you think about the fact that Bobby Wagner has to be on the field for 40 minutes, I mean... It's insane. And I mean, flip that. Patrick Queen, he's on the field for 20 minutes. I mean, that's a much easier game just just from a physical um, wear down perspective. So so to me, I, I my big takeaway, the way I look at this game and I this might be overly simplistic, but I think often we overcomplicate 
football. We we say that Bill Belichick is a genius, right? We say that you know John Harbaugh is a genius. We say that Mike, uh, who's the dude that just got fired from uh, the Raiders? Raiders Nation, Josh McDaniels. By the way, Raiders Nation. Shout out to Raiders Nation. Huge win for the nation. And um, if my friend Skyler is listening right now, I just want to, I want to actually address something, if you don't mind, Miles. A few weeks ago, I made a mistake and something I need to own as a man and as a Seahawks fan and 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 as a someone who represents the Northwest of the best of his ability, I refer to it as Seahawks Nation. And I got a text, a very um, uh, uh, poignant, uh, to the point, but yet gracious text from my buddy Skyler. And he just really obviously pointed out to me, there's only one nation, and that's Raiders Nation. There's no such thing as Seahawks Nation. You guys have the 12s, you have other cool monikers, but there's only one such thing as, you know, the Raiders Nation is is live, lives on its own island. And I respectfully agree. And I will no longer be referring to Seahawks Nation. I, I don't think I need to appropriate that. Um, I'm going to stay in my lane with the Hawks Nest and with the 12s. Um, but man, shout out to the nation because holy moly, I got to say, maybe I'm just a dork, but I really love what their new coach is doing. I like the I like the attitude um, and I, I love that the Raiders got that win. So that's a that's extra bonus content. Um, but Josh McDaniels is a good example. Oh, he's a genius. I think that we take the whole, this football coach is a genius a little far. I, none of these guys are geniuses. They can be very smart, but if Bill Belichick and Josh McDaniels are, uh, Josh McDaniels are geniuses, like they're doing the world a disservice. They should be working at NASA. They should be heart surgeons. They should be, um, figuring out new ways of propulsion. Like we need our geniuses working on cancer. We don't need our geniuses working on football. So I say with all due respect to gentlemen that I think are very smart, Bill Belichick and Josh McDaniels, these people aren't geniuses. They are very smart men. They're very good at their jobs. If they are geniuses, I want them to quit the NFL. I want them to get to their nearest cancer research center. I want them to get to the Mayo Clinic, start working on things that are important in life, not football. So that's that's just an aside. Um, I think that we make football a little too complicated. It's not that complicated. We can do really cool plays. Um, there was an unbelievable cool play that happened in the, I don't know if you watched the USC game, UW versus USC. USC had this really crazy looking flea flicker I've never seen before. I mean, it was a beautiful play. It was great. And these plays are fun. They're fun to watch. It's fun to watch interesting um, offenses all around the league. That said, you can win a lot of games by running the football down the throat of your opponent. And that is how, that's why we lost. They run it. They, look, I'll say it one more time. We got molly whopped. They ran it down our throats. We couldn't stop them. That's it. That's it. So, so to me, that's the whole game. And and the good news is we we like our running backs and we like our offensive line. I think we're gonna we're gonna jump back from this, but um I need to take a breath. That was that was an emotional that's the that's the most emotion I've felt on this podcast. 
Well, I hope uh, I hope you don't get your passport turned away at the border of Raider Nation next time. I know that was a, a tough moment for you when, you know, you went to the, the border and, and they turned you away because of what you... Because of what you said about Seahawks Nation last time, but I, I think you I think it's water under the bridge at that point after that that beautiful olive branch. Listen, uh, listen, uh, Miles. I think that there is an opportunity for Raiders Nation and uh, Seahawks uh, the the, the 12s, uh, to come together. Uh, there's no reason why these two great fan bases need to be at odds with each other when one is in the NFC and one is in uh, uh, the, the AFC. Um, you, you know, I grew up in Chicago um, after I was born in Hawaii. And Michelle and I, when we uh, watch football on a Sunday, we enjoy both of these teams immensely uh, because we like their coaches. We like their culture. And uh, that's the end of my Obama impression. But I, you know, I what I'm talking about is bringing the bringing the twelves in the nation together. It's only a good thing. Uh, I hope the world's only Raiders podcast gets in touch again. No way to get in touch with us, but I hope they do. And I think they'd only have good things to say. Yeah, and I, I'd like to thank um, President Obama for sponsoring the podcast. That, I mean, to talk about a shock, you know, to. Um, to have the former leader of the free world reach out and say, my family wants to support this podcast because we know that you guys are about bringing together football fans. Um, so shout out to, uh, uh, to the president. It was really kind of a cool gesture. We didn't accept his money. We didn't think that was right. Um, so, you know, this was all free. There was no, no money exchanged or anything like that, but, you know, really, really, really appreciate it. Well, you told me you were holding out for Bruce Springsteen. Yeah, no, you're a big Bruce fan. We we want we want his money. Um, want me to do snap counts real fast? Let's hear it. Okay, so we snap already heard the Disley one. I did write down the Disley one. That one that one shocked me. I mean, I knew he didn't have much of an impact on the game, but uh, also they only had 49 offensive snaps all game, which is including a number of uh, fourth quarter snaps that uh, weren't weren't quite in. <laughs> quite edge of your seat entertainment uh i'll i'll admit when i saw cam young at the end of the game i thought to myself this this snap counts does not mean quite as much as it has in in games past so i'll do this really quick we don't need to belabor it jsn so i started with this one because it it did encourage me jsn 82 percent of the snaps and actually led the seahawks wide receivers in uh snap count so i thought that was this is a big jsn game for him Disley, as mentioned, 22%. Spoon, 100%, which is becoming just kind of normal now. Uh, Here's the real takeaway, though, and I think what's kind of interesting about this game. Leonard Williams, 54%. Jaron Reed, 63%. And Jones, 47%. So the idea, and, and my takeaway is, none of those are huge numbers. And that's a good thing. You know, that speaks to the defensive line that speaks of the rotation that speaks to keeping bodies fresh, um, especially in a game like this, where those poor guys had to be out there so long. Um, Hall, Derek Hall, 33%, Cam Young, 16%. Obviously a lot of that was in junk time, unfortunately. Um, so, you know, snap counts, the big takeaway, I guess would be JSN. It's a big, big game for him. Um, and 
even in a bad defeat, we're seeing balance and parity on the defensive line. So snap counts uh, had no sponsor this week. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah. I, I'm, I was surprised to see the Witherspoon one because uh, starters were out for a big chunk of that fourth quarter. Uh, I was wondering how that was. I, I can't believe they kept him in the entire game, but uh, good for him because that was a lot of that was a lot of football. That couldn't have been fun to wrap that one up. Big ups to the Spoon Man. Yeah, thank God I didn't get hurt. Um, all right, we 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 keep things positive here. I say. I mean, look, listen to us. A thirty a thirty seven to three defeat. We're going hats off. You know, my big my big three foot top hat. I'm gonna go negative here. I discussed with a friend last year that I thought. I thought Tony Romo didn't do a great job as a broadcaster anymore. We had the experience when he first came in the booth. He's calling all these plays. And last year, I proposed to my friend that, hey, I think it's a lot of, look out for the pass to the right here, like right before the snap, and then they run the ball. It, it seemed like it was just happening a lot. And, and you know what? I, I, think I'm, I think I'm safe taking on this target here because Tony Romo probably has the best job in sports. He earns about a million dollars. A game, and look, there's plenty of players who are earning that and more. The difference is they can get mollywopped on the field. He's he's there in the booth earning a million dollars a game, and uh, it seemed like he was on a cold streak with the the play predictions. I noticed something else was happening uh, during this game, which was f- just free word association on the microphone by Tony Romo, which I thought was not the type of analysis I would want to be hearing if I was a CBS executive cutting out that million-dollar check for this game. So we come back to start the second quarter. The Ravens have the ball, and we just have a shot of some of the Seahawks offensive linemen on the bench. It happens, you know, coming back from the game. Seahawks are lying on the bench, Ravens on the field. Here's what Tony Romo said. I wrote it down. I couldn't believe what I was hearing. You might not know what this means, because I certainly don't. Tony Romo. You see all these big guys right here? This is the area where they could push around other teams. I'm going to pause. I don't know which team he's talking about. Because, again, we're looking at the Seahawks offensive linemen on the bench. The Ravens offensive line is on the field. Offense is on the field. So here we go, Tony Romo. You see all these big guys right here? This is the area where they could push around other teams. This is a big guy game. And you find very quickly that both of these teams are very physical. They don't get pushed around very often. That's why it's one of those, not three yards in a cloud of dust, but it's going to have a lot of that aspect to it. But we'll see. And at this moment, the ball is snapped. The play just starts. He just keeps on going. But we'll see these play actions on first down open up pretty soon. It's a Lamar keeps the ball. There's no play action. I don't know what any of that meant. I don't know. I don't know which team he was talking about. This is a big guy game. Another moment. The Seahawks are trying to run the two minute drill uh, to end the half before the ball is snapped. Tony says, "You can run this. You can throw it. You can do anything here." And it's true. I, I, that's very true. 
again, just a million, a million, that was that was probably $10,000, right? If we were breaking down his million-dollar game check, that was somewhere, but that was about five to $10,000 right there. He's right. You can run it. Run it you can't throw it. You can do anything. Um, okay, I got one last one here. I, 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 <laughs> so this is one of the plays where Geno gets the ball batted down by the defensive line, uh, also in this second quarter drive. Uh, what you need to know about this play is that Michael Pierce, the nose tackle from the Ravens, is on the bench. That's all you need to know. The ball gets batted down. Tony Romo says, who else? One of those two big guys inside, Pierce right here. Or this is Jones, actually. Jim Nance steps in. He says, yep, Travis Jones. Here's what Tony Romo says. Instead of just, he, he got the name wrong. That's okay. But instead, he, he says this. Gosh, they just send big guys in waves at you. That's why I said they put this picket fence up because they've got these huge guys. So he kept on harping on this analogy that this the Ravens' defensive line was like a picket fence. Now, the Ravens' defensive line led the league in sacks coming into this game. Uh, a picket fence seems very kind of weak and brittle and something that you could just demolish. Uh, I don't... I don't <laughs> A picket fence, even for an offensive line, is kind of the most pickety fence type thing. But that that also seems something like you could very easily flatten. But he he really kept on going about picket fences and how many huge guys there were. I just didn't think it was great bang bang for your buck from from CBS. <laughs> what I, I mean, congratulations to him. Listen, I heard this interview a few weeks ago with this guy in Dallas sports media. He is paid by Troy Aikman to bring him additional analysis. Troy Aikman has guys on his own. Troy Aikman is paying guys to give him crucial nuggets of things to, to say on Monday Night Football. I don't know about all the talk about, about big guys. I don't, I don't think there was that level of, of preparation is what I'm going to say. So it's funny. <clears throat> um, it's a good opportunity for me to disagree a little bit, which is very unusual for this podcast. Um, the fans will love just us yelling at each other right now. I So I generally like Tony a lot, um, but I think it's mostly because, and we were talking, me and my brother-in-law were talking about this this week, just how fluffy everybody's analysis is. And I guess you're saying that Tony's is very fluffy, which is fine, um, but we we hear we were talking about this on a on a text stream like so much of football analysis is like yeah you know i feel like what they should do or you know the the questions they'll ask a coach during a press conference is like so you know what happened on third down or like do, do you feel like your team is progressing the way you want i the the text basically went to the point where i i said i i think the word feel is going to be the ultimate destruction of Western civilization as we know it. Like we, we use the word feel when we mean to use the word think, like, what do you think about this versus how do, how do you feel about this? Um, and, and to me, my thinking, my ears, my observations tell me that so much of, um, of the play by play and the color commentators, um, it's it's very fluffy and very feely and like not having really good takes about what what we're seeing or what we should expect. Um, Chris Collinsworth has always been one of my favorites, you know, so it, like because I think he does a, a fairly good job of just kind of describing it. I think what made Tony really good in the beginning 
was he would break down like, hey, this is what this is what's probably going to happen. And he was right that first year, like really, really often. Um, to me, what I crave and I don't know if you're in this boat. I don't know if most people are in this boat. What I crave is for someone right after the play is done to break down what just happened. Like, tell me something I don't know about the way the linebackers were acting or what what the defense was thinking or what the offense was thinking. I feel like you don't really get a lot of that. Oh, feel. I just said feel. My observations tell me that I don't get a lot of objective breakdown of what a prof- what an ex-professional player just saw on the field. Like, hey, here it is. This is this is what just happened, dum-dum. You haven't played football at my level. I have. Um, instead, it seems to me you get a lot of, wow, this is what I'd really like them to do because I think this will help them win the game, which is fine. I don't know. I guess I'm not asking for so much like second guessing and just more. Tell me what you just saw. Like, just just tell me what just happened on the field. So I I don't know. Maybe we don't disagree that much. I usually like what Tony does. I I wasn't really listening this week too much. I don't think I think I was I think I was this might have been a volume off kind of week for me. Uh, how often do you do that? And maybe, it, yeah, I I, I do couldn't that believe often. what I was hearing. The talk about big guys, they all big, anno- big guys, they all annoy me a lot. I'll say that. Like, there's not a lot <laughs> okay. of there's not a lot of co- color commentators that I feel like just give me good information. So I I do I will say I think Troy and Buck are pretty good. Now this is a polarizing because there are people that hate Joe Buck. There are people that hate. I don't know if anyone hates Jim Nance. Hello, friends. He's the best. I mean, he, for my money, man, this, I don't think you thought this is, this is where my brain's taking this conversation. I'm sorry. For my money, I think Mike Tirico is the best in the business. I think Mike, I think that he is the Cadillac of, of the play-by-play guys. I think that Al Michaels was for a long time. And man, this is, I'm sorry. I'm sorry to hijack the the segment, Miles. I think that, um, NBC, the way they built the contract with Al Michaels and with Mike Tirico, I don't know if you all remember this. There was a couple of years where Mike Tirico had a full-time job with NBC and he wasn't doing anything. And there was kind of, at least for me, a bit of outrage. Like, why are you wasting Mike Tirico? He's on the TV, like for Sunday night football for like the halftime show. And that's it. Um, and now it makes to me, it makes sense. I think NBC maybe being like an old broadcasting company knew, hey, with all due respect to Al Michaels, who is unbelievable and one of the greatest of all time, like it's time to pass the torch to to Mike. Um, who Who's your favorite play-by-play guy between, I mean, I don't know. For me, it's like between Joe, Jim, and 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 Mike, and, and I guess Al. Like those are kind of the big ones, right? Yeah, yeah. I, I'm sorry to do this, but as you're talking about great broadcasters, this is such an annoying, uh, annoying pick for me to make. But uh, I'm going NBA League Pass. If you watch Mike Breen work with the Hall of Famer Walt Clyde Frazier doing Knicks games, it is it's on another level of everything else. I I almost be, I was becoming a Knicks fan uh, several years ago when they had like Al Harrington and Larry Hughes, some dark days for the Knicks, but the broadcasts were so good. I couldn't not, it was, they're just on another level. And I just got back into it with the Knicks after a long break. 
Knicks aren't even a great team, but it, it's just it's just the best. Hey, a great broadcasting crew will do that to you. I love um, Aaron Goldsmith. I, I think we've talked about him before in the past. Um, he's one of the play-by-play guys for the Mariners. Almost left to go to St. Louis this year. Um, was offered th- their top job, and he decided to stay with the Mariners instead. And I was unreasonably happy when I heard the news that Aaron was staying. I mean, I I legitimately was bummed in the same way that like you're bummed when you lose a game and you're like, oh man, that sucks. My team lost. I I was bummed that I wasn't going to be able to hear Aaron Goldsmith every single day because um, I, I watch a lot of Mariners games. Man, I like I absolutely I think he's a, a prince. I he, he's one of my favorites. I think we can agree on one thing. What? To get the type of NFL color commentary that we really want, we need a true genius. I think we can agree on that. The geniuses of the world should drop what they're doing. Are you working on rockets? Not important. Cancer, put it on the back burner. Heart disease, not not, you know, it's not really moving the needle for us. We need you guys getting paid a million dollars from CBS. That is how we need to be spending money in 2023. Um, I mean, and and let me just say, you should do what you want to do. If you happen to be a freaking genius and you want to be a football coach, it's fine. It's fine. It's fine. It's fine. But I just, you know, I I mean, Oppenheimer, I feel like was probably a genius, you know. Albert Einstein. Oh, oh, we'll stop. We'll stop. Do you got a Pete Nugget? Have you been Have you been uh, uh, in the hills of California? Have you been doing your gold rush? No. Instead of a Pete Nugget this week, I'm bringing you a Clint Hurt moment of pain. And this is sponsored by bonking your elbow against the corner of the table. Uh, this week, I know you've got a Pete Nugget that I'm looking... I heard you were uh, scouring the, the mines and, and the fields for, for a Nugget, but... This week, former Seahawk K.J. Wright had Seahawks defensive coordinator Clint Hurt on his podcast. And uh, I, just to hear the amount of personal sacrifice that goes into being a coach in the NFL is, is really crazy. So it, it was a little hard to square these first two things that Clint said a few minutes from one another. Uh, one minute he's going because I, I think it's pretty well established at this point that the Seahawks have a great reputation around the NFL for being an organization you want to work for, a workplace you want to go to. I think it's fair to say the Seahawks are top three in the league in that in that respect. Uh, so one moment he's saying working for this organization makes being married feasible kind of pointing to the like schedule of it and that sometimes you're working for a coach that just completely rides you as an assistant. And uh, Clint Hurt has worked a lot of places in college and in the NFL, mostly on the defensive line. So he says, okay, it's, it's feasible to be married here. You're, it, things are not going to burn out. And a few minutes later, he talks about how, <laughs> and I don't know if this is every single day. It seems impossible for this to be every single day, but that his typical schedule He's in the building from 5 a.m. to midnight and sleeps about four hours a night. I think I don't think I could do that for a, a week. That doesn't sound feasible to me. And I did wonder what's and he did kind of mention that he kind of joked about it. Like, yeah, I, I don't have to be 
spending that much time in there. I could be a little quicker with my stuff. I am curious how the day breaks down. Like what's actually, because some days I, I go, how could it be more than a, a four hour a day job? You're seeing the similar things week in, week out, year in, year out. And then sometimes there's something, there's some, there's some like very minor tactical thing that happens that wins a game. And I go, yeah, you got to work a hundred hours a week to get there. I, I go back and forth on it. I just couldn't believe it. And I felt really bad for him that the defense just got annihilated. Also, hey, real life continues on through the football season. He talked about how his mother passed away, I think due to cancer, unfortunately, a couple days before the Cardinals game. And uh, it was like the Friday before the Cardinals game. So that just happened. He goes an additional trip back and forth from the East Coast to her funeral before the Browns game. So even though it's a home and home for the Seahawks, he's wedging in this super heavy, sad event, all this additional travel on top of his schedule. So he's gone back to back across the country now, twice in two weeks. And I think it shows how close these guys are to one another. I'm not accepting that podcast recommendation from K, that that invitation from KJ Wright <laughs> in the middle because it happened in the middle of this last week. It'd be like KJ, we're gonna wait till the off season, man. But he sat down and answered the questions. I couldn't believe it after uh, after the typical day of 5 a.m. to midnight, this huge tragic life event that happens, the additional time. I I just couldn't believe the I couldn't believe what I was hearing the entire time. And I, I can't believe these guys do what they do. It's crazy. It's insane. Yeah. I mean, I, I would, I, I agree. I would love to see how that day breaks down from 5 a.m. to to midnight and to see like, hey, are there a few places we could tighten up the efficiencies? Like, are there a few places we could, you know, maybe maybe shave an hour or two off? Um, and it's a great question. I mean, these guys are very well compensated. Is that worth it? And I mean, I would submit if, if he's saying that the average NFL coaching staff, you basically can't be married. Like you're, you will ruin your marriage because you just won't be home for that much time. And it's going to be that disruptive. I mean, to me, that's a really easy choice. Like, sorry that like, even if football's my, my passion of passions, like it can't be above that. I would love to hear like Mike Tomlin, like his take on that and Pete's as well. Actually, I think both of those guys and, and John Harbaugh for that matter, like, they all seem like fairly level-headed people that seem to have like, and Pete has a bunch of kids. He's He's been married for I mean a long time. Like I would be curious to get their takes on that. And, and as a man, how you balance doing what you love and the profession you love with the person you love. And, you know, a lot of times you can't have everything in life. You know, a lot of times you have to make choices. Um, yeah, pr- pretty heavy. That I, I, you sent me that, and I really enjoyed listening, um, listening to that interview. Well, I just want to know how are these guys not yawning on the sidelines, or just at a press conference, or or whenever we see them, I can't picture in my mind a person in the NFL yawning. But I don't. I mean, that's four hours of sleep for for months in a row. Really, I mean, it, it's not. It can't be possible. I mean, there's got to be. It's not possible, is it, as a human to to do that, to work that schedule for three months in a row? Yeah, I mean, when he said that, he so he specifically says he sleeps about four hours a night. 
And my first thought was like, wait, I sleep twice as much as Clint Hurt. Like I'm literally in bed for twice as long every single day. Um, I do feel pretty good, though. So maybe maybe there is something to the sleep thing. Um, My Pete Nugget came actually before this game. I thought it was kind of interesting, his his tone and tenor as he talked about how much he respected John Harbaugh and the Ravens and how hard this game was going to be. It actually kind of gave me pause as I listened to his Friday press conference that, yeah, this is going to be a tough game. This is not going to be easy. And um, and it made me going into the game. we, We joked around earlier. I never felt terrible about losing this game from the beginning just because I knew what a challenge it was going to be. Um, and it was interesting hearing him kind of talk through that it before they even got to it, basically saying like, yeah, this is going to be a hard game to win. Um, you know, and Pete usually is fairly honest about stuff like that. Sometimes it can be a bit, a bit of typical coach speak, you know, Hey, we respect everybody, but he had a little extra, I've been listening to Pete for a long, long time. And he had a little extra like respect on the Ravens name. I think going in, I don't think going in, he knew how freaking good this team was. So that's my Pete nugget. It came before the game even started and it was uh, foretelling, unfortunately. The man knew what he was talking about. All right. I'm going to talk about the World Series for a second because uh, something happened in the World Series that brought to mind my favorite trivia que- NFL trivia question um, of all. So I know this one immediately. Uh, and I- I'm curious if you do as well. well. We'll see what happens. But basically, in the World Series, the most important thing, in my opinion, that happened is there is a reliever named Will Smith who just won his third straight World Series for his the third different team. Will Smith was on the Braves in 2021. He was on the Astros in 2022. And he was on the Rangers in 2023. He won three different... He moved to three different cities and won the World Series in each different one. It's one of the... It's unfortunate. It's one of the craziest things to ever happen in sports, in my opinion. The record is a little... The blemish on it is he didn't pitch at all for the Astros in the 2022 playoffs. But I, I just players going from city to city and mo- winning consecutive championships is my favorite thing. So, who is the only individual in NFL history to win three straight Super Bowls? The hint and the beautiful tie-in is this person was also once a member of the Seahawks organization. Organization. Probably know it or you don't. Because hmm. no, the 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 kicker here is no team has ever won three straight Super Bowls in a row. So there is a team jump in the middle here. Can you give me one hint? One hint is he won. Wait, wait, oh f- no, I'm sorry. Let me let me ask for my hint. This is a very specific hint. Player or coach? Uh, oh, he won them as a player. He won them as a player. Okay. Just think through the hundreds. Frank Clark. And th- <laughs> no. Oh, that's a great guess. But it's not. Okay. It's not it. Uh, just think through the hundreds and thousands of players in NFL history, and you'll kind of land on that one who, the one guy who did it. Uh, you ready for the answer? I am. The answer is Ken Norton Jr., who was Seahawks linebackers coach and won his fourth lifetime Super Bowl ring as uh, Seahawks linebackers coach. Had, was the defensive coordinator before Clint Hurt. Uh, so Ken Norton Jr. 
His father, Ken Norton Sr., the heavyweight boxing champion. Ken Norton Jr., he actually, he actually started in all three of his Super Bowls, which I thought was really great. He won it in 1992 and 1993 with the Cowboys. Jumps over in the first year of the salary cap and the second year ever of, in free agency to the San Francisco 49ers in 1994 and wins it in 94 with the 49ers. He's the only guy to do three in a row. It's, it's my favorite trivia question. And then the Seahawks, it, it's perfect. Ken Norton Jr. is one of my favorites of all time. He um, he described his linebackers years and years ago, um, and I think he was I think he was speaking of David Hawthorne. Was it David Hawthorne? I can't remember if that was exactly who he was referring to, but he he basically said like the question was who's the linebacker like that will clean things up for you? Like if you're in trouble, like as a coach, he said I can look at David and I can say to him, David bring me his head and he will do it. And like, just kind of the idea of it just seemed like such a linebackers coach thing to say, like, bring me his head. And you know, my, my, my guy's just going to absolutely rip him apart. Um, no, I, I love Ken. And I, I love that trivia question. Ken Norton. I mean, you really, you got me on that because he's, he's one of the best hearing him, by the way, I don't know how much you have heard him talk about his father and, and like his boxing prowess and the um the career of senior is like so freaking cool like ken norton jr is a bad man like he talk about short list of people i never want to get in a fight with ken Norton, uh, high high on that list even though he's probably like twice my age i i want no he can be 90 years old i want nothing to do with ken norton jr yeah me neither me neither Good. I, I, that's another thing that we want to make clear to everyone. We were, we we're not looking to fight Ken Norton Jr. <laughs> specifically. And I, I think in general, we're, we're, you know, we try to stay against violence as much as possible, except when necessary. But it is never necessary against Ken Norton Jr. You just say, yes, sir. And you move on. Um, Miles, we lost. I don't know if the, the audience knows this yet. The Ravens beat the Seahawks. And yet, the miracle of the NFL and the way the schedule makers make the schedule work is you have a game. Now, hold on. Track with me on this. Okay. You play on Sunday, right? Typically, what happens is a week from that day that you played, you play another game. And it gives you an opportunity to kind of, it's almost like Listerine. You can just kind of wash that taste out of your mouth. Um, and, uh, this week we are playing a team that has recently changed its name. I I refer to them as the team from Washington or, um, the Washingtons, but officially we play the commanders. Oh, I can say the district Deans because Washington's flying across the whole country just to get to Washington. Yeah. The, the, the DCers um are are coming over to seattle first of all i hope they enjoy i hope they have a great flight hope they enjoy their time in seattle how do you feel about this game it's the worst uniform in the nfl it's going to be disgusting to watch that that ketchup and mustard on on tv but uh about the actual game i mentioned earlier my opinion hasn't changed on the seahawks in terms of them being in that in that kind of second tier of the power rankings this is this is a chance 
Hopefully, they prove me right here. I, I really anything could have happened in that Baltimore game, but you know what? If you lose this one, uh, then I think the world's only Seahawks podcast will have a bit of a different tone next week. I think you really got to take care of business here. I was very surprised to see that they got the win over the Patriots last week. I didn't get a chance to see that one. Maybe it's just a case of the Patriots being that bad, but I was thinking what a demoralizing message it must send halfway through the year for them to trade away two of their best players on the defensive line right at the trade deadline. That that sends a pretty loud signal throughout the locker room about how this year's going. And uh, yeah, you got to take, take care of business in, in this one as a playoff team. So my quick takeaway on this is um, it's a take that I got from the late, great John Clayton, who would always reference this every time I heard him on the radio, schedule, 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 that the schedule is kind of how you predict games. And so let me just give you a couple of stats going into this. Um, You are going to go from a top five defense that you're facing to a bottom five defense. So um, scoring defense, here are the actual numbers according to Fox Sports. And um, I looked for Lion Sports because I figured that would be, you know, better. You know, it's a, a, a bigger mammal. Um, but Fox Sports is the best I could do. So hopefully these guys know a thing or two about statistics. Um, Fox Sports, according to them, 2023, this was updated actually today, um, lucky enough, the Ravens have the number one scoring defense. They have allowed the least points. Can you guess? Now, you're probably looking at our notes that we share on a nice Google Doc. But if you could just say a number so that it's more entertaining for the, the home audience. Now, let me close my eyes. I yep. can tell you what I would have guessed before I saw this. Oh, yeah. Tell me what you would have guessed. What would you guess the, the commander's uh, uh, scoring defense would be? I would have said, well, most of the year they did have Chase Young and Montez Sweat. Uh, those are two pretty good players. So that, but but uh, probably 19th or 20th. So middle of the pack type deal. So they are the number 30th scoring defense. And so my, my submission, my my thesis going into this game is schedule, schedule, schedule. You just played the best defense in the league. Why did you not do very well in this game? Well, you just played the best defense in the league. I think the best salve, the best antidote would be playing one of the worst defenses in the league, which statistically, and I've looked at a few different things, passing defense, running defense, everything points towards the commanders being pretty rough on defense. They don't have a lot of things they're they're great at at this point, to your point, especially now that they've they've lost two of their top pass rushers. So I look for this to be a massive bounce back game. And I think that John Clayton's going to be correct as he as he typically was that, um, you know, if you look at the schedule, you can predict a lot of wins and losses. And and I think this will be one that will be a great bounce back. I, I anticipate Gino being just fine um, and, and we getting back on track. Absolutely. Let's let's see those tight ends out there. Let's see those three beautiful, big tight ends. And and that's how we can end. Thank you for the tight ends for sponsoring the podcast. It was cool that Noah and Will and Colby all just put their money together. Um, and it turns out it wasn't that much. They said the most they could give us was a couple of bucks, but we take what we can get. Um, so thank you guys. And uh, Miles, have a great week. Tristan, 
Have a great week. Oh, go Hawks. Go Hawks. Go Hawks. And actually. Nation. Oh, yeah. Don't say that. I did say last week I was going to find out how to say go Hawks in German, and I failed. So next week, I will find out how to say go Hawks in German. I like to own my mistakes, Miles. I made a mistake. I did not do what I said I was going to do. I'm going to text my German friend right now. I'm going to get a Go Hawks translation. It'll be ready for next week. Seahawks Nation can't wait to hear it. No, no. You're, they're going to get mad again. The tw- oh. The, tw- the 12s. The 12s can't wait. You, you goose. You silly goose. 12 districts of Seahawks Nation can't wait to hear it. Yeah, that's right. All right. Go Hawks.